0: Welcome back to the Make Them Notice podcast episode two. I am one of your hosts, Daniel Mogg. Ma. The Make Them Notice podcast is presented by West East Empire, a brand management company based in Seattle and Los Angeles. And on today's show, we have a special guest and dear friend of West to East, mental conditioning consultant, Trevor Moad of the Moad Group. Trevor, welcome to the show, my man.
1: Well, it is great to, great to be here. I think we just saw each other last week, right? Yes. Filming um, QB to QB, so excited to... Uh, to watch that show and what an incredible experience really grateful for uh you russell and the west to east team to uh include me in that
0: yeah that's uh if you guys don't know april 17th is qb to qb a new show on espn and trevor is one of the stars of the show which you will be seeing here shortly he uh takes each of our contestants we've got uh jt barrett mason rudolph saquon barkley baker mayfield and they all do a little uh, mental, I guess, training session, if if you will call it. I don't, I don't know what the proper term is.
1: Yeah, I would think it was it was really more. I, I think the way Russell and I've always looked at it is just sort of, sort of planning and preparing for the next step. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think for for me, 17 years between IMG and athletes' performance of kind of getting guys ready for the NFL draft. Um, really more of a, a, a discussion. It was it was interesting how enjoyable all four were, but they were all really different. You know, I think um, between Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph and, and obviously Saquon Barkley and JT Barrett, just just they, they're facing the same sort of unique challenges as they enter pro football, uh, but they're, they're they're all sort of different perspectives, personalities and backgrounds. It was a lot of fun. I, I thought Russell did an incredible job um, engaging them. And then obviously the uh, the crew was fantastic, had a blast.
0: Yeah, what kind of preparation um, did you put into the show? I know you did a lot, but what specifically, as you guys will see in the show, there's different clips and highlights that Trevor put together to kind of make his key points and you know, impact the, the guys coming on the show. What kind of preparation did you do?
1: Well, I, I think one of the things we always talk about is that success leaves clues, and, and really so does, so does failure. And so what we wanted to do was, you know, they spent uh, the two hours with Russ and, and spent a lot of time going through his experiences. Russell asked, obviously, a lot of questions and then imparted a lot of experience. But when they came up with both myself and Russell, it was sort of the film room, uh, in, in one way similar to Coach Gruden, but also less about bigger, faster, stronger, or spider-wide banana, and, and really more about um, listening to people like uh, Michael Jordan and, and and how he transitioned to becoming a professional athlete or Jamarcus Russell opening up on, you know, how with thirty two million dollars and being a number one pick, you know, not eating well, not not engaging in, in his craft uh, cost him you know to be knocked out of the league in two and a half years. So and then I think we watched a lot of film of of. You know, Russell, his success in college and and some adversity in in, in college and and likewise in the pro, as well as Mason, Saquon, JT, and and Baker. And and I think it was just kind of a cool little experience to have film of of world-class athletes, people who've struggled, but a lot of film of of those guys, um, you know, at their very best moments, but also, you know, being able to struggle. And I think what Russell said uh, that I think really resonated was – you know, as much as you're going to be defined by the things that go well in pro football, you're going to be equally defined by how you handle uh, the the challenges and, and what the military calls adversity tolerance. And, you know, can you can you live in that adversity and push through, uh, which I think Russell um, obviously has had much more success in adversity, but he certainly knows how to manage both.
0: Who were some of the guys that impressed you that were on the show? Like, wow, this guy, he he's got the chops.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Mason really jumped out at me probably because his Liam Neeson impression was absolutely <laughs> incredible. I think um, people will get a chance. And, and you know, I, I've worked as a mental conditioning consultant, you know, eight seasons at Alabama, 10 seasons at Florida State, uh, the last two seasons with the University of Georgia. So I'm around this population quite a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. The the college athletes uh, at the best programs, Um so you're around you know a lot of impressive people, but I think they they all sort of brought unique things to the table. You know J. T. Barrett was someone that that uh, I was on the field um, three years ago when Michigan was playing um, uh, against uh, Ohio State, and he got injured after 11 great yeah, games. Yeah. And, and and so you know I remembered how talented, capable, and how he sort of responded. I think Saquon Barkley, you know, you're from from Florida. I lived there for 17 years. It is just one of the best running backs or pure football players. I think I've seen, Absolutely. you know, like his ankles are, uh, you know, look like a Marvel comic show, (laughs) Um, you know, to me since Fred Taylor uh, and he was so engaged. I think what was the cool thing about Saquon is seeing him at the hotel after, Mm -hmm. you know, he said, you know, normally you go to these shows and, and, you know, you talk about yourself or you, or you answer questions. But he said, you know, I, I walked out of the show and I got better. And uh, I always knew sort of where I was headed, and, 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 but I didn't know how to describe uh, the characteristics of being elite. So I thought that that was really, uh, you know, interesting. And then, you know, Baker Mayfield, you, you could see, uh, I thought with Baker, uh, like all of them, you had to have your A game. I mean, he, he's someone who has really high expectations, you can tell, for the people that are going to be around him, mm-hmm. uh, a, as well as for himself. And I thought he was, uh, you know, A, going through all the film. You know, I, I probably spent – 17 hours kind of reviewing film, cutting things up, working with Josh and Jay and the crew and, and Steven and, and Audra and all those guys and, and you, Dan. Um, but, uh, you know, what a, What an incredible college football player. I mean, just an incredible college football player. And, you, and you'd have to think someone that good uh, collegiately is going to be able to take the next step. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Now, you, I know you mentioned a lot about success and fail, failure, and there was – I thought a pivotal moment uh, that we really haven't seen on television before, which is you, Mason Rudolph, and Russell watching and going through the Super Bowl interception. What was that moment like for you, and how did you prepare for that moment? Which is it's a it's a big moment and one that we really haven't seen publicly.
1: Yeah, you know, it it, it it is a big moment, and you know, I, I think we're going to introduce this community in some way to neutral thinking, and and for for those who who are on the Trace Me app and follow Dangerous Minds, they'll have some exposure to it. But, you know, we talk often of the power of positive thinking, and and I think if you go on the internet, you're going to find thirty five million hits. But very rarely do we discuss being neutral, which is acknowledging adversity, but also not letting it define what happens next, and so. I was with Russell, um, you know, a, at that moment, uh, you, you know, when, first of all, people forget he took, took the team, you know, 80 yards down the field. I mean, that incredible pass to Marshawn and then obviously the great play to Jermaine curse. And then, um, you know, really, uh, I think more of a statement, uh, on, on the play Malcolm Butler made and, and less on, on the pass, But, um, what I remember about the moment three years ago was was there's no way to diminish how powerful it was in that moment. Mm-hmm. So Russell let himself experience it. He went through it, and 13, 14 days after it happened, he said, "Hey, I'm ready to hit the reset button. Uh, let's have the best off season ever." And we really got to work uh, on on doing the things that great football players do, and then. Then we watched a lot of fourth quarters at NC State at Wisconsin through his first three years of professional football just to simply prove that that his track record was dominance. And and so, yeah, Malcolm Butler made a play, and, and it was challenging and difficult, but it wasn't indicative of who he had been or who he would be. So we had certainly talked about it quite a bit um, as just, you know, how do we take the next step forward? We never dwelled on it because, as you know, Russell, uh, you know, he lives for the next moment. Yep. Um, but I don't think the world had seen it. So so I, I felt uh, as we sort of entered all four people that if the moment seemed right, um, I would, would, would take that step to see uh, if Russell would be open to it, and he was. And Mason really understood and had followed yes. – Followed Russell's career, and and he had been talking about the Super Bowl party from the against Denver and Peyton with the fifty touchdown passes, and it just seemed we when we like an opportunity to show some of Mason's success and adversity and Russell's as well, and and I don't know that that he had seen you know the the clip of him in the locker room and walking right you know to the press conference, and then obviously the press conference when when they gave him the opportunity said you know Pete Carroll said it said it was his mistake and. You know, Russell said, you know, I put the blame on me. It was in my hands. I threw the ball. And just to watch it, but what it was like, I, I talked to Mason about it after. You could feel it was magnetic in the room. Mm-hmm. It was it was emotional. Uh, it was powerful. And I thought Russell, uh, you know, really did an incredible job of, of helping Mason understand that you can't hold the trophy up the year before if you're not willing. Yep to, to, to be in that adversity a year later. And, you know, the only one I've ever heard explain it like that is Derek Jeter, Mm -hmm. you know, who's been in those big moments and came through and said, you can't come through in a big moment if you're not willing to struggle in that same moment. So, uh, it was, it was magical. Um, Russell's just so impressive. I think, you know, six years of of spending time with him as his mental conditioning consultant, but also just a, a great personal relationship. Um, I think I've learned more from him. He's just so incredibly neutral. He acknowledges the past, good or bad, and he's able to move on. And that moment was not too big for him. And uh, you know, I think that's how you end up with 34 touchdowns, 4,500 yards, and the MVP of the Pro Bowl the next year.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Now, how does one become a mental conditioning consultant? <laughs> is that a, is it a degree or? It, yeah, how, you know, that's, how did you get to where you are, Trevor?
1: That's, a, that's an interesting question, and I've been called, you know, so many things, right? I, I think uh, in the industry, the industry probably is broadly viewed as personal development. So you have at, at really one end, you would have like uh, Tony Robbins, um, mm-hmm. you know, who would be like a strategist or a life coach. Right. Um, Maria Shriver, you know, from the Kennedy family calls, you know, that role like an architect of change uh, to uh, – and then you have a more clinical side, which is a sports psychologist, which right. is which is which is more of a one-on-one clinician. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be sort of a, a clinical mental health counselor for athletes. Uh, my father was uh, a, a longtime coach up here in Seattle, Washington. He's a, a hall of famer up here, and and he was just one of the early adopters of that sort of cognitive training and positive psychology. And and so I was uh, I was born and raised in a very unique environment where Um, I was raised by sort of a motivational architect or, you know, peak performance educator. I think that's what he was called. Uh, He worked with Boeing and NASA and Starbucks and Coca-Cola and IBM. And I used to sell his books out of the back of the seminars. And (laughs) so I I think I had a lot of exposure to it. I, I fundamentally believed that these concepts, although less tangible, like how we think affects what happens to us, I think I had probably more awareness than most people, Um, and uh, so as I went to college and was a two-sport athlete in graduate school, and I went into education and and tried my hand at professional soccer, I sort of found my way, uh, although never apprenticing under my father, I think I found my way into the industry at IMG Academy as as a mental conditioning consultant in Bradenton, Florida, and Sort of worked my way up, making twenty-five thousand dollars a year at 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 twenty-three years old, and 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 sort of evolved from there. And I think the best teacher for me really is is was getting twelve years in Bradenton, Florida, with tennis players, baseball players, basketball players, picking Cam Newton up at the airport, tutoring Maria Sharapova. I mean, you know, with English class or history or whatever. Um, But then getting huge opportunities and breaks to train. Guys for the NFL draft, and 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 really take basic cognitive uh, fundamentals of thinking, and and create a platform to educate a wide variety of athletes, you know, CEOs and operators. And Russ, Russ was our, our 13th class of of draft prospects. Uh, I think our probably we had had four number one quarterbacks before there: Alex Smith, Eli Manning, Tim Couch. Um, and a handful of others, and, and uh, you know, was able to, to meet a young Russell out of uh, Wisconsin. And uh, I knew he was going to be either the next Bill Gates or, or, or you know, a future, a future version of uh, Tom Brady. Right. So he, he's probably a mixture of both of them right now.
0: <laughs> now, each, you know, all athletes are athletes, but the sports are different. In your approach, do you take kind of the same method, per se, and apply it? How much? How specific do you get to sports, or is it a kind of a broader, complete mindset overall that you have to take?
1: That's a really uh, good question, Dan. I, th- I think that there are basic fundamentals probably that are similar to any fitness expert, you know, like relative to flexibility and and uh, ESD or anaerobic capacity and fitness and things along those lines. I think <clears throat> a lot of people... Uh, that are brighter than me would, would call it neuro-linguistic processing, but but helping people have an understanding of that inner voice, this constant dialogue that some have estimated uh, speaks to us at, at almost a 1,000 words a minute. I think learning to understand that that voice is is speaking to us whether we believe it or not, right? I was with 2,000 high school kids yesterday. Uh, my, my good buddy is a, a principal up here in Seattle, so I did that to challenge my sanity, mm-hmm. and um, you know, you know how many of you find yourself having this conversation with yourself, and about a thousand, you know, a thousand hands go up, and a thousand don't, and the other thousand are saying, you know, I don't know if I have a conversation with myself as they're having a conversation with themselves, and and so you you have to understand that voice, but more importantly, I think one of the things that Russell and I've discussed, or you, you know, is that that voice when spoken out loud about myself or about my circumstances or situation is 10 times more powerful than that voice when it stays in my head. Mm. So whether, you know, I was at Fort Bragg last week or we're filming QB to QB or I'm 2000 high school kids or going out to ReliaQuest to work with, you know, top cybersecurity company in Tampa, uh, Florida, you have to understand those fundamentals that I influence myself that my voice is more powerful than the outside voices and then learn basic concepts of non-negativity. I was raised, we couldn't say I can't.
0: Hmm.
1: We, uh, we didn't watch the nightly news. Uh, we couldn't listen to country music or rhythm and blues. Although I think my dad would probably let new country, I think Florida, <laughs> Georgia line, he'd probably be okay with, but he, he really wasn't, uh, emphasizing being positive. It was more, how do we reduce negativity? negativity. Right. And, and that is, I think a, a concept that that everybody will acknowledge that hey, well I, I can't guarantee positive works all the time. I think we all would agree that negative does work and mm-hmm. it works negatively. So let's let's limit that from our life because it's not helping us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned you also do some work with, you know, business leaders and CEOs who are also listening to the podcast. Now what are two, you know, quick tips that you have that people can apply from work into into their lives whether they're an athlete or not
1: you, you know I, I think the the business world is fascinating and if you look at the statistics uh, I saw a recent poll from Gallup where you know even the best companies you know one out of four of their employees are engaged you know uh like in, totally engaged in the company you know two out of four of them almost half of them they just show up and when they're told and they leave their
0: paycheck and
1: you know and then 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 the other quarter is actively disengaged so as as a leader you know you're probably not going to be dealing in majorities you you have to find like whether it was Jimbo Fisher or Nick Saban or Kirby Smart who I consider CEOs of multi-million dollar companies you got to make sure that 25% of your employee base are the right 25% Mm. and they're and 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 that that you are spending a lot of time nurturing them, teaching them how to utilize their influence over different segments of your population. Um, and, and I think that we don't, you know, we hope that we have good employees. We hope we have dynamic leaders in our locker room. But what, what do you do when you don't? Mm-hmm. And that's what's always been most impressive to me about some of the, the, the coaches I've been able to work with. We're actively finding ways, okay, we're going to bring in improv experts. We're we're, we're, we're watching an E60 or a 30 for 30 or, or we're bringing a top CEO and we're trying to find different ways to facilitate leadership. So one thing I would tell uh, top business leaders is, is A, you don't need to be sick to get better. So if you're winning, you can win by even more. Um, find the top influencers in your group and spend time with them consistently. We're doing that in football. You can't always spend time with 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think secondly... Um, is is to, to really, one of the things I learned from Mark McCormick, the founder of, of IMG, who wrote, you know, the things you don't learn at Harvard Business School is, is, is write things down. Hmm. Um, you know, Michael Johnson, the great sprinter, used to always say that, um, he, you know, he went into these big moments, these big races with these four things written down on a note card because in order to be an effective grocery shopper, he had to have things written down on a note card it's that simple Mm. right so so do simple better you know if if you if you have leaders spend time with them nurture leadership if you have a plan write it down hold yourself accountable keep it at the the front part of your frontal cortex so you're constantly reminding yourself what is important today um and and so those are the things that are getting prioritized by your actions uh, not just by you know some thoughts that seven hours into your day you forgot what you really wanted to do with your day so, so I think that's probably the key thing. And then the last point, like I mentioned earlier, just do simple better. You know, mindfulness and being positive and visualization and meditation, those things are all valuable and they're all really important and they're huge parts of, of cognitive education. But um, the simple things, you know, what do I say out loud? How do I talk to myself about my circumstance? How do I talk to my employees, the people around me? If I was a TV commercial, would I be a phenomenal commercial, or would it be one that, hmm. that you know somebody would change the channel right away? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're a marketing campaign for the people who work for you. Uh, more importantly, you're a marketing campaign for yourself.
0: That's good. That's good. Now you guys take all that down. Write it down. Write said. it down. <laughs> <laughs> write it down. And uh, we can put that to our lives daily. That's so. Great. Trevor, you've worked in the NBA, the MLB. You know all across different leagues. What are the consistent themes? We have the NBA playoffs coming up, baseball's just getting started. What are some of the themes of consistent championship teams of the, all the teams you've been around? What are some of the themes of those teams?
1: You know, that's a great question and, and, and getting a chance to work in pro basketball um, in the past and also this this season as well as Major League Baseball last year getting a chance to spend uh, a time with a, with a, a, a pretty cool organization with the great young GM. You know, you always hear in in, in <clears throat> about basketball in particular, but also baseball, that they're players' leagues, right, because the contracts are guaranteed and, um, you know, that the leagues are ultimately sort of run by the players. I, I really don't believe that. I, I think what I've seen in my experience with both baseball and uh, basketball, which are a little bit different than football, but the best leadership platforms are shared responsibility. You know, when... When management, coaching, as well as the players, have a collective goal that it's not, okay, Dan, you do B because I'm telling you A. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work in pro basketball. It doesn't work in pro baseball. Um, and, and maybe that's because they know that you're paying them for the next four years. But they do want to succeed. They, they, they do want direction and instruction. So it's creating that shared sense of responsibility. Um, and, you know, you're hearing this a lot about this generation, but helping them understand why. You know, because uh, um, we all benefit from winning. We all benefit from good practice habits. We all benefit from eating right. We all benefit from going to bed at 11 as opposed to 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we all benefit from being engaged employees. So, I think the cool thing um, is that I've been able to be around some incredible coaches uh, in pro basketball that are that are uh, kind of follow that Ray Kroc theory that I certainly believe Russell follows, which is. Uh, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's said, when you're green, you grow. And when you're ripe, you rot. Hmm. And you can be green and growing at 84 uh, and ripe and rotting at, you know, 26. So I think you look at people like Pete Carroll and Nick Saban in their mid 60s, and they're still trying to get better, (laughs) you know, and and you look at Russ in his mid 20s. And he's that way, too. Hey, how can I get better? How can I learn? It's funny. I'm always asked. Typically, the programs I work with are the best programs, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, but they seem to be the people that get it the most. Right. You know, like you would think the people that that would need, you know, sort of enhanced support on eating, training, or or on the psychological side um, would be the people that seek it, but it's typically the people that are the best that understand that that the slight edge is, you know, I saw the statistic, you know, speaking of the masters where it was a few years back, but... But the twentieth money winner at the time was Fred Funk, mm-hmm. and he played uh, ninety-four rounds of golf. And the hundredth money winner was a guy named uh, Barry Cheeseman. <clears throat> so, so fundamentally, they played ninety-four rounds. Um, so I think thirty-two tournaments uh, in order to to sort of sustain and maintain their card. And so you would think, okay, and and you know Funk made I think maybe uh, 3 million dollars more than Cheeseman over the course of the year so you would think wow like the guy must be a better golfer over the 96 rounds well a- as you know being the son of a golf pro uh, golf is measured in strokes per round right so they sh- they show the statistics and and uh, Funk averaged 70.34 strokes per round which is great golf Cheeseman through 94 rounds was 70.35 mm. Which was about one putt per every 35 yeah. holes was the difference in almost three million dollars. Wow! And you you look at that. That's a dramatic uh, example, but you can't say that that aptitude was the game changer because talent wise, if they shot essentially the same number, mm-hmm. but it's the ability to make that critical putt in mm-hmm. that big moment. You know, how does Russell throw 19 touchdowns in the fourth quarter? you know, how, how can you be at your best in, in big moments? Um, and I think that that's where this sort of mental aspect uh, comes from. And it's not lying to yourself. It's okay. You know, uh, I, I've watched the film, I've studied, I'm disciplined. And then it's, it's your voice telling you uh, this, this law of substitution, you know, like Russ says, I'm here. Like this is, you know, and and focusing on getting that play call from the offensive coordinator and engaging your opponents and all his teammates always say, you know, it's like late in the game, like, let's go get it done, you know, and, 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 you know, uh, doing simple better. So I come back to the same thing, but just staying engaged and knowing that my marketing campaign affects me and the others around me. And I think that's where the mindset plays a big role.
0: You mentioned coming up big and, and big moments. Is, is the clutch gene, is that a real thing? Like some people have it, some people don't. Is it self-talk? What's your, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, th- there's a book I read a number of years ago called Hard Optimism by a, a guy named Price Pritchett. And, and essentially, he estimated that about 25% of who we are comes from genetics. Mm-hmm. So, so there must be something to it. Uh, to, to maybe being calm, being poised, less anxiety, being bigger in big moments. But that also means that 75% is, is from your own conditioning, right? Your mental conditioning, your societal conditioning, your personal conditioning. So I think that we can be engineered to be more clutch. And I think if, if we were born with a clutch gene, we could be de-engineered. Based upon who we associated, so, so, Converse used to have this this ad uh, that said, uh, A champions are made, not born." Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I believe that that champions many times are born and then they're unmade, mm. and they're unmade by who they hang out with, by who they believe, by 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 you know. And that just coming back to Russell again, I just remember, as part of QB to QB, you know, we're we're talking so much about six years ago, and I had such a vivid memory of Russell when he was in the exact same situation as, as Baker, Saquon, Mason, and JT. And I just remember that the whole world would, was telling him all the things he wasn't. You know, you're not 6'3". You know, you're not, uh, and, and, and you're also not Michael Vick. You don't have that same speed or that electric uh, quickness. And he was so focused on, on what he was, though, you know, like, but I'm, you know, I, I I'm I'm bright, I'm I'm engaged, I'm dynamic. I I understand an offense. I know how to build relationships with people. I'm big in big moments. I I, I I'm quick. I'm explosive. I'm powerful. I don't get hit. And and his whole mindset was, I'm going to use what I have and re- yeah. really not get caught up in what I don't have. Mm. And think about how how many people listening uh, to this podcast have allowed themselves to become defined by, by who we think we're not yep. as opposed to really trying to maximize who we are. And we wouldn't worry as much about what other people thought of us if we recognized they're not thinking about us. Like I'm so worried about whether or not my sweater looks good and your photographer thinks it looks okay and all the different types of things right now that, that I can't worry about you. Mm-hmm. But if you're worrying about me, then you're wasting your time because I'm not even I'm worried about you. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that that's, that's the real trick, right? Um, for those that are listening that might be going through challenges, it might be going through some adversity. Um, I think life is at its best in the uncertainty, mm-hmm. not knowing. Uh, but at the same point, it, it's the not knowing where we have our greatest growth and our greatest love and our greatest passion uh but it's also where we have our greatest fears our greatest adversity and our greatest struggles and coming back to russell talking about holding a super bowl trophy up and then being a yard away from it you have to be able to function in both sides of that uncertainty mm-hmm. and and that's it's not easy to do and i think a lot of people would rather just you know take a seat on the bench and let life roll by but uh not us You know, not you guys at West to East, not me, and and probably not most people queued into this podcast.
0: Absolutely not. So just to recap before we let you go. So we've got Trevor's three points. You don't have to be sick to get better. Yep. Write it down. Yep. And?
1: I I think really understand that you design your own ad campaign, that that you're a marketing campaign, number one for yourself and number two for those around you.
0: I love that love that. Well, Trev, as, as always, it's a pleasure to have you come by the office. What? Where can people find you if they want some more of your material? Where can they check you out?
1: Well, I, I think there's going to be some cool things coming forward um, that uh, Russell and myself uh, and uh, a handful of others have been working on, so kind of stay tuned to, to Russell's social media and, and, and west to east. Uh, but I am at, uh, social media-wise, the Moad underscore group, M-O-A-W-A-D underscore group, And uh, you can find uh, moadconsultinggroup.com and and probably Google Trevor Moad, and you'll find kind of a wide variety of uh, interesting articles and pieces uh, over the course of 17 years in in college and pro sports as well as uh, sort of the elite business. So excited, Dan. Thank you so much to you and Russell for allowing me to be a part of this.
0: Yeah, of course. And you guys, as we said at the top of the show, April 17th, QB to QB, premieres on espn trevor will be a big part of that show and as well you can also see all the behind the scenes some of the extra footage and action on the trace me app so make sure you download that check it out tune in april 17th qb to qb and we will see you next time on the make them notice podcast
1: the right attitude is a competitive advantage let's get it going
0: boom see ya